turn in God's word this evening to the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading at verse 9, Romans 12 verse 9, and then we're going to read through chapter 13 verse 7. As I often mention to you, verses are artificial, chapter breaks are artificial as well. And so when we read God's word, sometimes we stop at places where we probably shouldn't stop, um, and we continue through sections that perhaps we shouldn't, because we, we have to catch more that which is the intent that the passage is laying before us in its context. And so that's what, uh, why I'm beginning at verse 9 of chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. But owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. As for the reading of God's word, let's again ask for God's blessing. Almighty God and merciful Father in heaven, 
We thank thee, Lord, for this day. We thank thee for the beauty of the day and the opportunity to enter thy house and hear thy word proclaimed. We pray that thou wilt be with Pastor Bob as he speaks on this portion and that this portion enters our heart, that we can go and live our lives pleasing to thee. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are dealing tonight with the scripture text of Romans chapter 13. First thing we ought to do is understand this section of the book of Romans. Where are we at when we come to Romans chapter 13? Well, the book of Romans is easy to outline. It falls under three main headings. When you take it from Romans chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book, there is a section dealing with the subject of sin at the very beginning of the book. Then there is a long section that deals with our salvation. And the latter section, starting at chapter 12, deals with service. It's the divisions of the Heidelberg Catechism as well. Sin, salvation, and service. That pretty much neatly fits okay, into the pattern that Romans establishes here for us. So that's the greater part. Now... We're in chapter 13, that section that's designated as Romans chapter 13. That means we're in the section that's dealing with service, that's dealing with Christian living, that's dealing with the fact of, okay, you are saved, you've been saved through Jesus Christ, now how is it that you're going to live a grateful life to the Lord? This doesn't become a free-for-all. It's not like God says, boy, I'm really interested. I'm really concerned that you know you're a sinner. Well, of course God wants us to know that. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Of course God wants us to know of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that the price has been paid. He wants us to know of the perfect righteousness of his son. He wants us to know of that new covenant that Jesus is speaking about in his blood. Of course God wants us to know that. But God also wants us to know how it is that he desires for us to live as his people in gratitude. Not to earn our salvation, that already has been accomplished. But how to live out our salvation. So starting in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is laying before the church of that day, as well as the church of today, how is it you are to live as God's people in this world? How does God expect you and I to live thankful lives of gratitude to him for the fact that we can sing when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it's well with my soul because my sin all the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. How are you going to live? God instructs us in his word how we are to live. That's what's going on in this section 
the book of Romans. This isn't just for the Romans. This isn't just for the people of that day. This isn't just somehow culturally conditioned that somehow if you live in that time, in that space, this is what I expect. Because I can't see you living in the 21st century. I'm so limited as God that when I speak, I can't speak looking to the day and age in which you live. That's the, one of the remarkable things about the, the Word of God. It is timeless. It is timeless. The Word of God comes to you and I today with the same power, with the same impact as those who first received this letter from the Apostle Paul. So that's the first thing we have to understand about this. We can't just dismiss this. We can't just, oh, this, this is unimportant for today. There's, there's much other, there's, there's, there's more information today that we have, and so we don't have to pay attention to this. In fact, they, there, there was a point in writing the sermon, and I'll probably say it. There's a point at which writing this sermon, it's sort of like, okay, too much has been said trying to defend various positions about this passage rather than just looking at the passage. There's too many agendas going on rather than looking at God's Word. We're trying to fit God's Word into our context rather than God's Word driving our context and informing us of our context. Because God's Word is timeless. It's not going to change. The words are the words. So we ought to be studying the words rather than, well, how does this now apply to us? It applies the same way it did to the people of Paul's day. So let's look at the words. What is it that this passage, secondly then, in Romans is teaching us? What is the Holy Spirit having us see? First of all, God wants us to see that the source of all authority is himself. He is that source. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by luck. Nothing happens by misfortune. All things by the sovereignty of God. But the point that Paul and the Holy Spirit are making here is the basis of authority. It comes from God. Authority is not derived from a... From a divine Nero. He is not the source of authority. Oh, now Pastor Bob's going to step in it. Neither is the source of authority the Constitution of the United States. God is the source of all authority. He may have different means by which that authority is displayed. But it's not an end all. Right? God stands above that constitution. 
God stands above every single authority. All, all. There is no authority except from God. Authority and God, in a sense, are synonymous with one another. Because God is the source of order, not chaos. Whenever you see chaos, whenever you see chaotic activity, that is not from God. I would imagine the men yesterday, standing down at Calder Plaza, Lord willing, stood in marked contrast. There's an orderliness, there is a peacefulness, as compared to the disorderliness, the chaos that takes place before our eyes. Chaos has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with Satan. And we see it on display before our eyes. Paul, the Roman church, saw it on display. Hey, let's go to the amphitheater. What do we see? Oh, this is real orderly. It's chaotic. It's horrific. Let's walk down our local street. What do we see? It's chaotic. What do we see in our city streets today? Chaos. That's not from God. God is a God of order. Secondly, God is a God of law. All authority finds its source in God. And God's authority is given by law. Given by decree. Wherever we see anarchy which is the dispensing of law, which is the throwing off of law, the throwing off of all constraints, of doing whatever I feel like doing, whatever I feel like doing to anybody's building, whatever I feel like doing to anybody's desk, whatever I feel like doing to anybody's shop window, whatever I feel like doing to anybody's vehicle, I shall do because there is no law. I can do what I want to do. That's not of God. It's not of God. Anarchy is never of God because God is a God of law and God is a God of order. He is the source of all authority. That's the first point that Paul is making. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, as a Christian who has been washed in the blood of Christ, who has been purchased by God. As a Christian, I am always to be subject, now here's the tricky part that you have to see in Romans 13. I am always to be subject to God's authority. See, what we do is we separate this out. And that's where we get into trouble on this. I am subject to God's authority as a Christian. How do I live a thankful Christian life? I subject myself to the authority of God. Paul's not saying there are multiple authorities here. Paul is saying there is but one authority. I am required 
as a believer in Christ is to show my gratitude to God to forever be in subjection to his authority. The extent of that is always. I am always. There's never a time when I'm given the freedom as a Christian. Well, you don't have to be subject to my authority anymore, God says. No. I am always subject to the authority of God. There are no sub-rules. There, there are no side rules that said, I don't have to subject myself to God's authority as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ if X, Y, and Z become true. I am always to be subject to the authority of God. And that is limitless. Hence, Peter's standing before the religious authorities of his day, looks at them and says, I shall obey God and not men. What's he doing? That's Romans 13. That's Peter understanding God has authority. I must always subject myself to the authority of God. And therefore, I shall always obey God and not men. See, we tend to look at this as obedience to people. Romans is looking at this as being obedience to God. So here it lays down the principle. I always have to be obedient to God. Always. Because God is the source of all authority. And it's his authority that I must submit to. To or be in subjection to. I am to recognize God's authority in all authority. Third, see that's verses one and two. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So when I subject myself to authority, I am subjecting myself to God. Because authority has been instituted by God. Third, civil authorities. Confession uses the term magistrates. We don't use that term very often. Okay? So we'll use civil authorities, or perhaps we'd want to say civil government. Okay? Although I like civil authorities as a just because of its consistency here, are to be servants of God. They are servants of God. Right? That's what Paul says. Verse 4. For he is God's servant. He is God's servant. Those who have been placed in authority are God's servants. We need to recognize this. We need to understand this. This this needs to be within our, our privy of understanding. Those who have been given authority have been given authority to be God's servants. 
They haven't been given authority to be our masters. They haven't been given authority to be our taskmasters. The purpose that individuals are given authority is to be the servants of God. To function as God's servants. So we have to recognize this. But we also have to understand the responsibilities that fall upon those servants. And they are only God's servants, and they only function as God's servants when they do God's will. See, this isn't blanket. This isn't, doesn't matter who it is, when it is. That isn't what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here and what the Holy Spirit is teaching us is that we are to understand that authority figures are there as representatives of God, as servants of God. They are to be doing the bidding of God. They are to be doing the work of God. They are to be fulfilling God's requirements upon them as servants. Now, that becomes pretty easy in this text. Paul says it comes down to two things. One, they are to be a blessing to the good, and they're to bear the sword for the evil. That is the responsibility of civil authorities. Be a blessing to the good, to promote the good. Two, to bear the sword for those who are evil. That's the responsibility. That's what they're required to do. As God's servants, been given authority by God, these servants are required to do those two things. What if they don't? I'm not required to obey them. But if I don't obey, I also better be ready to suffer the consequences. Hence the context of the greater passage. Hence when we back up to chapter 12, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So if I, as a matter of conscience, believe that the government has done something that is, that is the exact opposite of that which this passage tells me their responsibility are, and I say, I'm not going to submit. And I have a God-given right not to submit. Well, then I also have to hear the rest of the passage. If I'm going to use this passage as the means by which I'm going to not follow that what I'm told, then I can't just pick and choose. I can't just say, well, okay, now we're in for it. Let's go for it. Let's battle it out. No. I am to bless those who persecute me. They're persecuting me because I desire for that servant of God to do what God requires for them to do. 
And because they are refusing to do that, I suffer. Bless those who persecute you. Do good. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is as powerful as is Romans 13. And I can't tell you how many times in the last two years, with all that we've been through, how few people ever put Romans 13 in context. It's always Romans 13, Romans 13. Like the, like, like the message that the Holy Spirit gives starts at verse 1. No, that's artificial. The Holy Spirit is telling you and I how to live. So if I suffer as a result of my disobedience to the government, then I must also be willing to pay the price of that. Repay no one evil for evil. That's the requirement. I have no right. Repay no one evil for evil. I can't think of one time, you know, I would be interested in this. One time in the New Testament where I read of somebody like Peter, John, Paul. Who leads some arm resistance. Who leads some riot to the house of the magistrate. And we're going to tear the house of the magistrate apart. Because the magistrate isn't doing his job. I do find him in prison. I do find them with stripes across their back. I do find them praying. And I do find God moving powerfully. Because you see, that's what the passage tells us. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Now, let me stop here for a minute. Because you see, this, this is the part where we have divided company in the past couple of years as churches. At what point, at what point do I as a Christian If my conscience is stricken that the government or a government official is requiring something of me that is not for my good. In fact, it appears they're punishing the good, they're, covenant, they're punishing the right, and they're rewarding the evil. Well, there are a segment of churches who say, look. As long as the government is not forcing you to sin, you have to go along. Do you know where that occurred? Nazi Germany, World War II. I didn't have to shoot a Jew. I didn't have to put a Jew in a railroad car. I didn't turn on a fire. Nobody's requiring me to do something sinful. Therefore, 
I do whatever the government tells me to do. Do you know what the Westminster Divines did? Back in 1648, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of a king who's Catholic and they're Protestants, they're in the midst of a lot of turmoil, they're saying, not so easy. No. No. It's not just if the government requires you to sin. It's when the government, when the authorities do not obey God's command to them. And it's simple. It's not like God's command of the Ten Commandments or a whole bunch of laws and laws. It's, it's two things. When you start punishing the good and you reward the evil, when you start giving rights to sinners and for their sinful lifestyle and you take away the rights of God-honoring folk. Armed resistance? No, that wasn't there. But you have the right to not follow. Charles Hodge, in his systematic theology at this point, commenting on this, writes the following. When the civil government may be and ought to be disobeyed is one which every man must decide for himself. It is a matter of private judgment. An unconstitutional law or commandment is a nullity. No man sins in disregarding it. He disobeys, however, at his peril. There's some great wisdom in that. I, I think Hodge caught that which Paul is trying to teach us here. In which Paul is trying to instruct that New Testament church living in the day and age in which they are. God has placed authority, and I must obey God's authority, first and foremost. But there may come a point, and I believe that point is coming, brothers and sisters in Christ, in which I have to understand it's not just me. I have to look about, I have to look about. And I have to see, are civil authorities, not just me, but others, they're punishing good people. They are taking the sword that God has given to them to punish evil, and they're punishing the righteous. They're punishing those who pray. They're punishing those who read God's word. They're punishing those who worship. 
They're punishing those who exercise their right of free speech. And they punish them. Meanwhile, the lawless, the immoral, we see not. Paul says, they are no longer God's servants then. Because you are the servant of God only when you know you are the servant of God and are seeking to follow God in that. That's pretty major. But I like Hodge's point. I, I like the point. It is a matter of private judgment. Right? I can't control others' consciences in this matter. But notice how Hodge goes on to say, An unconstitutional law or commandment is a nullity. It really doesn't exist. No man sins in disregarding it. He disobeys, however, at his peril. We would do well to understand God's word in this regard. But let's move on. I'll skip D. We'll come back to that, Lord willing, someday. You and I live not in Rome. <laughs> I mean, when you think about this, you just kind of stop and think, okay, these people, this church, living in the city of Rome, they've got Caesars, they've got rules, they've got laws. What a unique institution. What about if you live in a country that you've got a king? Right? Paul is not saying one government is preferred over another. He's applying it to everybody's situation. Right? This applies even if you live in a communist country. But think about our unique situation. Think about how unique it is to be an American citizen. We have the opportunity to petition. We have the opportunity to address. We have the opportunity to run for office, which, by the way, the Westminster Confession says, it's okay for Christians to be in government. It's an okay thing. And we have this wonderful privilege that we get to vote. What do you think about when you decide who to vote for? What's the factors that go into it? Let me place before you three thoughts tonight to think about. Three thoughts. That as a Christian, as one living in Romans 12, 13, 14, as one living out of gratitude to God, out of one who is seeking to take seriously what God is saying to us in Romans chapter 13, how it is that we are to live. Okay? We're not to be anarchists. We're not to be people of chaos. We're not to be people who kill and destroy others. 
not to be people of violence. We're not to be those who bring vengeance upon others. It's not who we're called to be. That's not, that's not the passage. Repay no one evil for evil. Instead, overcome the evil with good. So taking that all and going, okay, I got people to vote for. Let me place before you these three things to think about. Does the individual that you're about to vote for recognize God's authority? See, because we live in, we, we're in kind of a unique environment right now, okay? You know, I, I, I've never seen so many people running for office, right? And so now it's, okay, I've got to start sorting this out. Who's who? <laughs> First of all, I've got to figure out what district I'm in and all of that, right? And who's who? Does this person understand that they are God's servant? Oh, I always love the answer when a politician said, I'm a servant of the people. That's a good answer. Okay? Not bad. Understand in the context of the Constitution. But boy, I'd really like to hear him say, I am the servant of God. Because that's what Romans chapter 13 is all about, right? I'm God's servant. And secondly, that I understand God's law. Now, that, that's not like, hey, I want to publish the Ten Commandments here, there, and everywhere. That's not what I mean. I mean that they understand the basic principle that God is laying down here. You don't punish the good and reward the wicked. You punish the wicked and you bless the good. I just want to hear that, that understanding. And I, I think we as Christians need to pursue that. Do you get that? Do you get that that is your role as God's servant? Your role is not all this other stuff. Your role is to do these simple things. Make rules, make laws that are a benefit to good people. And seek to bring about justice in situations where there are people who are wicked. Do they recognize God's authority? Do they recognize that they're God's servant? And do they recognize the requirement that is before them? Sometimes you and I are are left at the voting booth with going, oh my, Lord, where are the good people? <laughs> right? And it's sort of like, well, neither of these people are going to answer this question, right, that Pastor Bob just posed. Okay? So we, we look to all these secondary and third issues in life, and we go, okay, I, I hope and pray that this person turns out okay. Okay? Hey, I'll pull this lever. Right? Oftentimes, that's where we are, if we're honest about this. Seems like we're in a unique position where we actually have to stop and reflect upon perhaps some bigger questions about people's leadership. And I mean it, folks. We, we got some good options out there. Wonderful options. 
But let's not think about this the way we normally do. Because the way we normally think about this is why we're in this mess. We need to think deeper. We, We need to think about this at the Romans 13 level. I want and I desire and I pray for leaders in our communities, in our counties, in our townships, in our towns, in our cities, in our state, and in our nation that understand that they are to function as God's servant by being a blessing for those who do right. But that they also carry a sword of punishment for those who do wrong. And that above all, their authority is not the guy with the biggest pocketbook, not the person with the biggest union, not the person with the biggest and loudest voice in the media, but that their authority is Almighty God. To that end, let us, as God's people, exemplify to the world, to our communities, we are subject to Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. This passage has been used in so many wrong ways. It's been used, Father, to to justify Horrific acts over the course of human history. Where Christians went along with decisions that that were so, so sinful. We see it even sometimes in in our own day and age. Decisions that get made about what's a legalized marriage. and Christians just go along with it because that's the government rule. Or abortion. Oh, Father. What a world. What a world. And yet, Lord, there's the glorious hope. There's the message of the gospel. There is truth and righteousness and there is holiness to be found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we, we as God's people, are called to submit. Submit to Christ. Submit to your authority. Live as your people in this world. Father, that's not an easy thing to do today. It's hard, it's difficult. Yet that's the call of gratitude. Be my people. Be lights in this world. Father, we come to you tonight thanking you. Thanking you that many of us in our communities will be faced with good choices. Good people. Good people that, that we now have to make a decision between. Good people who recognize your authority, 
who recognize that they are to function as your servants. Father, give us wisdom. Give us discernment as we go forward. But Father, you have placed us in a unique position in history. Given us opportunities like the church has never had. Help us not to waste this. But help us to make use of the freedom that we have. To speak forth Christ to the world. That, Father, they might hear the message of the gospel and that your Holy Spirit might turn hearts, turn hearts, draw them to Christ. Father, may we not be those with our heads held low, bemoaning. For, Lord, you reign and you rule. And we're to live Lives of gratitude for it. In the name of Christ we pray. God's people say. Amen.